at the initial moments of a startup, you have so a limited budget that you cannot make mistakes, right? And or if you make mistakes, you need to be cheap and faster. Hello, and welcome to the Indibal podcast, where we talk with founders, VCs, and scientists about what's exciting and interesting in biology and life sciences. I'm Gwen Chenny, your host and a partner at Indibal New York. Hi, everyone. On today's podcast, we have Pablo Zamora, who is the co-founder, original CSO of Notco. Everyone have probably heard of Notco by now. It has saturated the Chilean market and now is in the U.S. market and can be found at a Whole Foods near you. So, Pablo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and for the invitation. I have to tell a joke to, for everyone to, to start the podcast. So I was actually on a on a radio show with uh, Pablo, and um, you know the the letter Y is pronounced like a J in Spanish. So Pablo Pablo says, "Oh, Gwen got her start uh, in jail." It's true. And so I was thinking, like, I've never been to jail. Where's Where's that coming from? So I went to Yale University. So Yale is pronounced like jail in Spanish. So it took me a second, but I very quickly said, "No, no, no, no. I've never been to jail." Five um, years, five years, and one day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so there's a little bit of Spanish lesson for everyone here. Um, so Pablo, uh, with that start, um, tell us about yourself. How did you get started with Notco? How did you get that idea? So I started with Notco like uh, six years ago. Um, uh, I think that because we get a diagnostic about, you know, that the food industry was really static and really innovation wasn't there, at least in Latin America when we started the company. The three founders we met in the U.S. I was at uh, California, at UC Davis. My co-founder was at Berkeley uh, taking some courses. And another one, he was at, uh, at Harvard. So we uh, connect to each other in the U.S. And then suddenly we realized that uh, innovation was required in a space that everybody is, can be a user, right? Everybody can, can, tangible, uh, can be tangible for everyone. And, and food industry was the first reaction that we get to, to how we improve technology in a space that is kind of, um, kind of absent in, in, that, in that time. We were talking about 2014, the idea, 2015, we started a company. And we decided to move it, uh, three of us, to Chile to start it here because uh, Chile make a lot of sense for us because we were Chilean, so we succeed or we fail. No, n- nothing happens because we get some kind of reputation over here. And and at the same time, we we I think that we identify that new tools that they were available for other industries like uh, biotech, in, uh, biopharmaceutical, or uh, medicine wasn't there for for the food industry. So that's how we we ended up bringing two profile of deep science, right? I'm a biochemist, in plant biochemist, and with a lot of expertise in genomics. Uh, and my co-founder, Karim, he was expert in machine learning for astronomy, um, use of um, uh, data sets and creating, you know, algorithms for trying to identify uh, that, that kind of application. So we bring together, and I always say that when we met with Karim and we tried to put together these two angles of seeing, you know, food was, Awesome was a train like uh, you know and 200 miles per hour because we we tried to bring up with a solution when when the data was not there we create some experimental data and then we use the optic of astronomy to uh, resemble food and 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 that was uh, pretty amazing at the beginning I think that originally was for me at least uh, on my end was a pure academic exercise. And then we find out uh, with the help of Matthias that we can really build a business around it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it, it sounds like uh, the three co-founders were actually bi-coastal. So how did you find each other? Uh, I think it, it was funny, you know, because uh, uh, I was living in, in the U.S. For, for, I don't know, nine years. And, and Karim, he was doing his postdoc at Harvard. He spent there like a year and a half. But, but Matthias traveled to get some, uh, the, the CEO traveled to get some uh, entrepreneurship courses in Berkeley, Stanford, these small programs. And then he moved to, to, the, to the East Coast. And he find out my name because uh, the Chilean diaspora is kind of a small, right? And uh, there were not so many Chileans working there and doing great stuff. And I was at that time uh, getting like a very senior position at Marx Incorporated, doing a lot of like pretty awesome and deep science uh, project with plants. And, um, and Matias want to contact someone experts in plants biotechnology uh, mainly. I think that he didn't understand very well what was the type of uh, expertise that he was looking for. But I was a Chilean sitting there living uh, with a lab. Uh, so he contacted me and then he moved to Harvard because a friend of him, he was an alumni of Karim. And and he, of course, Chilean, we love, we love our country. We always communicate with, with our peers uh, outside of Chile. So he was, I think, a uh, Contacting Chileans, very cool Chileans, highly recommended. Uh, so he ended up uh, contacting me uh, and contact uh, contacting and Karim in the East Coast. Got it. So I, I do know um, the reason why I ask is that hiring after the initial indie bio stage or even during indie bio hiring is such an important role for both Critical. founders and VCs. So I'm always yeah. I'm always asking for tips. How did you bridge that? Um, and Pablo is super humble. Um, so Notco, with their $235 million recent raise, just became IndieBio's uh, first unicorn. So congratulations. <laughs> congratulations to um, you for the decision of investing in us. Well, no, it's I, I always feel like it's the team, right? It's, you know, there was a um, there was a meme on uh, on Twitter recently of, um, uh, so in the US, maybe around the world, right? You have the real athletes and then you have the spectators that are watching it on TV or in the stands, right? right. So we're cheering but I really feel that as investors, that's all we are, is that we're cheering you on, we're helping you, um, we're buying your swag, <laughs> but you know we're not the ones uh, in the in the arena and fighting. So kudos yeah, to you guys. But, but I think, but I think that in the case, particularly from the case of Indivio, right? Because you you for some from some end you help in the uh, fundraising, but at the same time you have uh, access to facilities. You know the iteration that happened internally really trigger a lot of process, like not, not just pure business side, but also experimental one. And the experimental one with the interaction that you have with the mentors and everybody around the ecosystem of Indivio, right? We spent time in Indivio SF, uh, New York uh, didn't exist at the time, right? I think that it's very fast how every iteration happened between the experimental and the business because you are developing business skills all the time. In the case of our our you know, CEO is, is very smart, right? Matthias is very smart and he learned pretty fast. But at the same time, you have a layer of experimental, you know, skills that they are improving and also, you know, uh, interacting with the business, like in the day by day, very uh, concentrated. Because when, when we were in Chile, of course, the team was in Chile, there is a lot of business to attend, including, you know, how you hire people, how you, how you build the business, on how you build a lab, uh, how you manufacture, how you contract uh, services. So um, I, I will say that the momentum of Indivio is something that will, uh, of course, is very good for founders because you align 
the founders uh, with that topic that you need to be, you know, brilliant at the end of the program. But at the same time, I think give some kind of peace uh, for people that are sitting there just thinking on executing what was proposed on the original plan. And, and, and I think that that is very valuable because um, I, I, for instance, spend a lot of time with uh, Matthias in Japan uh, getting selected by Endeavor. And I think that that, that week um, in Japan, just two of us working together helped me to understand better my co-founder. And I think that that is exactly what happened in IndieBio when you spend more time with your co-founders and you, you try to map out how they think, how they take decisions, you know, how, how friends you could be or, or how colleagues you could be, right? Yeah, that, I think that is the, uh, the differentiation between IndieBio and regular investors, whether it's an angel investor or, you know, uh, a seed fund is that, we really are free employees for six months for you. <laughs> so, you know, for some of our um, our companies that just went through the batch, I, I literally sat in every large sales meeting uh, with them and for them because um, when you're selling B2B, uh, you might only have a dozen possible clients, right? And so you can't burn any of those meetings. So right. make sure to attend all right. of them. Yeah, exactly. Because you, if you miss one of those opportunities at, at it's jeopardizing the survival of your company. So I totally agree with you on that. And thanks for, thanks for pointing that out. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of founders that really appreciate what we do, but I think you're, you're, you're definitely very grateful you, for people that help you. And maybe that's why you guys are so successful, right? Is that, you know, people want to continue helping you guys. I know even more. I remember that, that after the, we raised series A and B and we need to be back on, on, on the U S with the long run of, uh, you know, growing in Chile, expanding to Brazil and Argentina. I uh, remember that time that I went there 2019 and the first uh, door that I knocked knock was uh, Indy by yourself because we need to find space for working. And like I say, of, uh, you were alumni like two, three years ago, but this is the space. You use it. And when you're ready, you move on. So through Indivio, we ended up in, in Mista. It's another place in San Francisco where, you know, everything is happening and w- with big companies and so on. But the first, you know, Indivio is kind of a first to, to knock the door because we, we were, you know, involved in the past. And, and that kind of continuity, uh, it, it's good because you have a partner overseas in, in a case like a company based in Latin America for our our case. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely been true. We're, we're, we never kick out any of our alum companies. Um, you essentially have free work co-working space in both San Francisco and New York now, which is, which is a benefit. Yeah, you have West coast and East coast. Um, so let's talk about, um, sort of on the operating side of Notco, cause you guys grew very quickly in Chile. How did you do that? And, you know, how did you pick Chile? I guess you mentioned a little bit, uh, why you picked Chile instead of the bigger U S market, but how did you guys grow so quickly? I think that uh, for for many reasons. Uh, first of all, I think that Chile is uh, it's small enough as a country and it's very organized uh, in terms of retail. So if you are in the three main retailers, you concentrate like eighty percent of the market, uh, and we have the 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 um, we have some retail that is very well organized and it's very innovative. So we have one specifically uh, brand it's called Jumbo, right? That they are looking for for brilliant you know uh products over overworld so so uh, so we have a small market small enough to make a proof of concept and at the same time uh, a very i will say smart retail for bringing new concepts 
and and we aligned perfectly with them because we were like a kind of new uh, the new kids of the of the block, right? Uh, we were um, with a with a aisle that was very depressed. That was in, in the first product that we launched was the the Not Mayo, because people uh, changed their decision on the price point based on, on how cheap was the com- competitor. So you didn't have any attachment to the brand. So when we create the the first product, I think that we make um, a lot of noise. Uh, because uh, that was equal price from the competitors and we were doing indoor tasting and saying people that was exactly the same, but, you know, with no cholesterol, not saying that was a vegan product, anything like that. Very, very uh, smart way of communicating this. So uh, we, I think that we, we broke some kind of cultural uh, boundary of consumers saying that uh, plant-based, pe- plant-based product was for vegan. And we never communicate that was a vegan company. Because vegan was, if you want to be vegan for the retailer, you will be a niche product on the organic uh, aisle. And we uh, ended up working uh, on the same aisle with the regular mayo. Uh, and nobody noticed because uh, the company's competitors, uh, they were based on the in the Europe and another one with the uh, R&D center in Brazil. So we, I think that we grow in market share without knowing on the competitor side that we, we could be a good and, and a strong player. So I think that um, combined many things, an organized market, a very cool uh, retailer uh, you know, a mindset, an aisle that was very depressed, and indoor tasting. I think that that was key because if you just leave your product there and you leave to, to your home, nobody will shift their decision based on, uh, on a label. And yeah. You need to test and interact. And, and we, we, myself and my co-founders, we went to supermarket and, and give samples to them. And we, we really, I, I think, that make some, some dynamic internally inside the supermarket that kind of break also with how the people interact with the product. So, yeah. so that, uh, and that was pure marketing. Uh, and the marketing people, Matthias, is, is brilliant on that. Um, uh, yeah, that's how we, we grew. And people start getting adopted without being vegan itself so they they go for x and they go for not mayo right and that was perfect because we in some way democratized how the plant-based food was uh, perceived in in the market and we at very focused i would say in one supermarket with that case of success we went to the second one and to the third one and negotiate better terms and eventually you know grew nationally but still we are uh, like one third of california um, uh, population so so i think that was good for creating this the to, to create in the narrative of the company. And with that enhancing some experience, we are open more, uh, I would say, aggressive markets like Brazil and Argentina, you know, with all the regulations and, and kind of a way about how we develop, you know, the product, uh, if we want to develop the product internally and then ship it to other countries or start operations in other countries. So, so that exercise of, of perceiving ourselves on a growing process, I would think that, that Chile helped us to settle down uh, if we make mistakes, you know, it still is a small market. Uh, if we something happened in the aisle, we, we uh, dwell there and 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 see, and see what happened. And and that was that was very, I would think, very cool. And also, I think that was for me at least make a lot of sense because I was in charge originally on the company of creating the science platform. And Chile have great universities, right? Uh, excellent PhD student, a lot of postdoc everywhere from Chile, from overseas that can. Uh, flow back, you know, and be back on, on the country. So the the kind of people, uh, the highly skilled people re- recruited for the company was already on the country. 
So, so that made that everything happen pretty fast. So I just got uh, a request to do a go-to-market um, and distribution session for the next batch. And I think I'm just going to use what you just said. Um, I think you summarized it really well. Um, I think, um, you know, the number one thing it sounds like from what you said is um, find a partner that uh, has a need, right? So if you're knocking on doors, you want to knock on the easiest door. Um, somebody that is looking for uh, what you're what your the solution that you can deliver and number two is after you found the partner the product that you picked is one with very little loyalty right and so that's another easy product so you want to find the easiest product there as well and then uh, i think number three that you mentioned is after you've after you've done these two, you can't just, you know, sit back and, you know, let the market do its work. You actually have to put in the sweat and maybe blood and tears to actually, you know, do the one-on-one -on -one product introduction to get the customers up the learning curve of what is this new product, have them try it and whatnot. And then I guess the fourth thing, if it's even possible, is you know, you're hoping that the the partner that you've partnered with um, has enough market share such that if it works, you get uh, enough growth right away. Perfect. But I think of the four um, four items that you mentioned, the fourth one is a good to have, but not a must have. Yeah, is and that also, a fair uh, summary? Uh, yeah, it's a very, very good. You, you explained it better than me. <laughs> so number five, I will say that was, I think it was critical and, and that was not intentional, but was really critical. It's like the main mainstream product their R&D operations to, to challenge us wasn't on the country. So we, we grew one point of market share, two, three, four, 10, 12, 15, and the people noticed. So I said, what, what is happening in Chile? Why we are losing market share? Why we don't, why we don't release our own plant-based? But when they tried to launch their plant-based product, we were already on the top of their mind uh, of every customer. So for we create a, a, a brand very powerful. We in some way define kind of a loyalty with our brand. But when the when the other competitors react and they release their plant-based product, we were already captured that that people that want to jump into the plant base. So so we didn't, I would say, lose market share because there were other plant-based from the current mainstream brands are releasing product. And and that uh, and that was pretty awesome because people start defending ourselves. Right, they say, you know, this is kind of a, what Protco does, not Kodas. So, so why you are buying this another brand if, if this brand, it's, this concept belongs to Notco? And and that was great. And you can see it on the supermarket because I was, you know, as a customer sitting, uh, you know, looking the aisle with the Notco products for 20, 25 minutes, and people making choices, right? And and they choose this cool brand from the, this uh, how how the people define us ourselves in a in a YouTube comment to say over-educated hippies, right? That they were creating this concept of uh, plant-based products in Chile. I think I think that's a really key point. I've actually heard the same thing uh, from uh, companies in Mexico, where if the if the product they're making uh, is made by an international uh, manufacturer outside of the country, they're not as quick to react, right? Because they don't have as many boots on the ground. And this actually highlights the importance and the you know probably the numerous number of hours you and Matias uh, spent in the grocery stores, right? Is that your large international global competitors didn't do that, so they didn't have boots on the ground. They weren't able to react quickly and they, you know, frankly, um, you know, maybe just didn't care as much. Um, I, I really am so glad to hear uh, you're reiterating a lot of our points that we've been teaching our founders. Um, so on um, 
on that part, um, what's so after your success, I guess it's always easier to raise when you've seen a lot of success, but any tips on fundraising? Yes, I'm, I'm helping right now because I, 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 as, uh, I, um, I'm not part of Notco management team anymore, right? Um, and, and so I'm helping companies because I, I, I'm in Chile and my co-founders, they're both in the, in the U.S. growing this beautiful business. Uh, so, so I'm helping a lot of uh, startups right now of fundraising. I, I think I take the lessons that we get from, from, uh, from, from Notco to, to, to exercise the strategy of, of doing fundraising. I think that the, the main lessons for me is like, of course, uh, not get easy money. Right. Um, first, people, you know, uh, at the beginning, I remember giving giving a um, a conference for for a bank in Ecuador, uh, uh, and a millionaire in a, a private jet came in and said, "I want to have five forty percent of your company. You will have twenty million dollars." But he had no clue on 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 B two C, sorry, on CPG products. He had no clue about technology. Had no clue of nothing. And, and that was the easy part, right? Getting the funding for an attractive idea in, in some way could be very easy. But you need to pick up very well your investors. And, and mainly the criteria that I use is not maybe my co-founder thinking differently, but people that it's aligned with your purpose. It's very important, right? Uh, people that not just can understand your business, but also it, it's aligned with what you want to change. Because my my goal behind startups and Notco is one of them, but I, 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 I co-founder other two, is like change culture in stuff that I believe that are not correct in society. So that diagnosis needs to be shared with your investors. So they need to be aligned with the, with the goals of your intervention in society in some way, right? Um, this is very important because they will create empathy with you and they will try to fight with the same with the same passion for, for that change of culture that you are pushing from your end, right? This is the first one. And, and second one, it's uh, need, need to be hands-on. Your, your ventures need to be hands-on. I remember that the first you know, investor that we get is Gazex. Uh, Gazex, it's the largest venture fund in, in Latin America. And, and they were awesome, not just because they help us to educate ourselves as, you know, a management team for a, for a startup, but also they were really helpful of creating and open their own network to hire people, management a position, to uh, if we travel to Buenos Aires for a meeting, we use their office, and we always we, we were very welcomed by their team. Uh, if we wanna take some strategy, so so one one dimension is the board of director role that they play, but we were looking for people that can really support the operation in many dimensions, and and I think that BC was was. Um, is key on that role. And also we, we bring other people, right? Like um, the Craftery, it's a brand brand um, focus PC, uh, and they were they were great as well. So so and, and keep keep moving with the rest of the investor. But I think a combination of align with your purpose, right, and your goal and your your uh, your vision, it's critical. And also that they have have ha- I will say the the perception that they need to be a partner with you and they need to help you to grow, not just every month, you know, uh, kicking your butt with questions and creating new new strategies. So, so sometimes the, the, the projections of the company doesn't accomplish what we promised, right? It's, it's normal. And having someone there sitting with you that you can call in the middle of the week without being in a board meeting saying, man, I'm in trouble. I need to, I need, you need to help me to take a decision here. Um, 
that that kind of a partnership role, I think it was critical for for not just to to accomplish the economy part of the company, but also to create culture internally, to to create a kind of a way of seeing the business that can really help you to to put in their current role as some responsibility of the success of the company. And that was great because, because you know, if we want to open Argentina, there will be a, found, a, a venture helping us to do that. If we move to Brazil, we have another connection to do that. So, so including office space, that is, that is very simple. But imagine being a, a small company, open a new business in a country that you have no clue and you, have, you don't speak the same language. So, so that part of the, the, the growing, it's, it's with them with the venture. And, and, I, and I think that we, we make very great choices. Yeah, I totally uh, underline everything that you've said. Uh, I, I always advise founders, don't think of it just as money, but as a co-builder with you, right? And so it's really easy to be uh, you know, on the board and demand everything. It's much harder to sit side by side with the founder and say, okay, how do we solve this together? You know, here are all the intros I'll make for you. Here are the things I'm going to do to help you instead of just saying you do this, right? I totally 100% agree with you. Um, and sometimes I think investors underestimate the power of the intros is that, you know, if you, um, if you've been in the venture business for 20 years, you have enough, uh, contacts to make a huge difference in a company. Yeah. And, uh, for anyone, uh, listening, who's not from LATAM, Argentinian Spanish is very different from Chilean Spanish. So when Pablo says it's a different language, yeah. that, that's what, that's it's, what he means. It's real. Um, so Pablo, you were, you know, Matias sort of scouted you out <laughs> from the from the stories that I've heard. How do you, you know, this is something that um, I hear from uh, business founders a lot, right? Is that they have an idea, they have a grand vision. A CSO is such a key hire. How do you find the right one, right? And the same, the reverse is true, right? Is if you're a scientist, um, oftentimes uh, a lot of scientists don't recognize the importance of the business side, especially on the pharma side. Um, how do you find a good, you know, business executive that will get your product to market? I see a lot of failures on this part. It's, so it's any advice? very, very hard. I think it's very hard because normally uh, most of the of the venture doesn't help to recruit good scientists because doesn't see in science. Um, sometimes some investors, and, and I'm seeing this after after my my uh, fundraising with Notcos, like they see science like like an excuse of building a brand. Uh, they don't see science as a deep part of, of the soul of a technological company. They, they love to mention that science is important, but they don't want to invest because it's too expensive and it's too risky. So, so um, scientists, I'm, I'm a scientist like you, when you, 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 need, you need to recognize that. Also, you are a businesswoman. Um, I think that we, we as scientists have some very important problems with the ego. Uh, and it's uh, hard to recognize that we need to bring some people on the table to do what we don't know how to do. And, and I will say, I will make the, the question on both sides. When you're business and you try to convince a scientist, it will, will be always hard because a scientist will check your resume and your resume probably say nothing about what really you are in the business side, right? Uh, so, so this happened to me with Matthias. When I first time I met Matthias, he said, yeah, it's great. It's a kid. Um, with, a, with a great idea, with a, a red hair that, that I don't have too many red hair in my, my network, so he could be interesting. But I will talk, I will contact my, one of my PhD students and work with you in, in what we are 
planning, but I don't have the time. Uh, and I, and at that time, I, I was um, uh, associate director of an innovation center with uh, 45 scientists with a huge salary, you know, with many labs. So I was very good in my position uh, working for UC, for UC system. Um, so building a new company was not something that I was looking for. Right, because I, I I get everything that I wanted at the time, and I was I don't know thirty five or thirty four. My my career was very very crazy. So so I was sitting in my country with a lab in the floor number twelve in a business district with a lot of brilliant scientists all over the world, uh, and and I was having the idea with with Matthias and Karim to start something tangible in in Chile. So so uh, my first reaction was yes, we can do this, but I will spend no time of my time, no, I will spend zero time on this until see if it works or not. So I contact someone in the university and say, why you don't, you don't help me to solve this kind of a couple of questions and see if that works, I will jump in and I will, you know, take, take the leadership on this. And that was exactly what I did. So, um, and always Matthias remind me that, that the first, when we went back to Chile, we was calling me and was saying, oh, Matthias, no, I don't want to talk to this guy <laughs> because I was very busy. Right, and I was uh, in my hands with a thirty-five million dollar grant, and need to make too many things, including four genomes of uh, uh, grapes. So, so getting the attention of a scientist is not easy, right? Um, so at the at the end, what happened is like the, what we were proposing works experimentally, and they say, oh, if it, this is work, this is important. This could be a, a game changer. So I decided to to jump in and, and dedicate my time and 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 put all my energy and my intellectuality right uh, behind behind this. Uh, this is my experience, right? And, and I have been approached for with many, many uh, business people on, uh, across the time, and that was the very first time uh, that I I I I talked to them deeply, right? To try to understand what they are looking for. Um, but of course, uh, I was in my my personal life. I, I was a scientist uh, in a university. Then I moved into the patent, you know, uh, knowledge and writing patents for, for other. Then I moved to the private sector uh, of doing, I, I was leading a, an institute of, of advanced research in a company. So my mindset was easy to jump into a startup because I was doing research for the last, uh, I don't know, four years in the private sector. But if you want to convince someone in a university, it's even harder because they are, they, the, the life is already solved. Right, uh, because they have their tenure track, they have, you know, they receive uh, grants every year. They do whatever they want. They have two months of vacation. So, so dealing with that part of uh, of the science, um, I, w- I would say, uh, career is even harder, because because maybe they know the science, but they they are not familiar with the business. They don't know how to execute the correct science for delivering and not go too deep on the science to make papers, just, you know, releasing what the company required from you. So I will, I will say that my recommendation for hiring CEOs is like always go to people on um, a middle position in companies, on startups, that people that can really teach their minds about how to do, how to do science apply to business, not just apply on, on the, right, not, not doing applied science in a university because someone else will take the post and someone else will, will make the work. You need someone that have experience of delivering and, and, and very, with very tight budgets, with the right specifically experiments that will allow you to move into the next level. And that experience, it's, it's the private sector. It is the private yeah. sector. There's no way that you can change, uh, have a game changer CSO from, from a professor position because he will try to replicate whatever 
he does in the university that is absolutely different to the one that you can carry and you need to accomplish on the, on the, on the private sector. And, and of course, bringing another CSO uh, from a company when you're a startup is impossible. So you need to be the middleman, the middle scientist that learn, have experience, and he can jump in into your startup with very good incentives, right? With a stock option and, you know, some bonus or something that will help him to, to move on from his current position. How many years in the private sector do you think is enough to, to have learned those lessons after academia? And also, uh, do you think private sector is is sufficient or does it have to be a startup or innovation-focused private sector? I would say that private sector, will, if he, he's in a good position, private sector will be enough, I think, because also uh, if you're in a big company, not in a startup, you can have clients, you can bring your network, you can have access to big facilities that sometimes when you're a startup, you are poor for the first 10 years eventually. So, so you are kind of a, in, a, in a battle position, always fighting for the penny, for paying experiments. So that bringing startup to startup, sometimes you don't have the vision of creating a business around science. So having been uh, a scientist in a, in a, a real uh, strong, you know, consolidated company, have, of course, is maybe the person is less creative, but at least he have the view about how the system works. And eventually he will help you to create that kind of vision from your startup to the consolidated company. So uh, I will say in terms of time, timing, uh, for me, take like six months of, of, of changing my mindset because I was... I think you're a little bit, you learn a little bit faster. <laughs> yeah, but maybe a few years, to be fair, yeah. maybe a few years, like three, four, uh, four, five years will, will be good to, to get a sense, right? And he, what you cannot do is like bringing a corporate guy, right? That sees science as a commodity. Like yeah. people in the private sector normally see, have that view. So if you make, you to take that profile, you will make a big mistake in the startup because he will kill the startup uh, spirit. Yeah, I, I think this is the reason why I just love IndieBio is one of our, um, you know, core theses is that science is the asset here. My personal view is that the scientist is the IP, is, is more valuable than IP. Uh, what I've seen is that the scientists that have wrote the patents, they can always figure out a way to get around it. So if you think that, you know, the patents are the the, the assets, you're wrong. Um, it's the scientists that are the real assets. So I, I totally agree with you on that part. Um, so how long did it take for Matthias to woo you out of your $35 million grant? <laughs> I, and I, I many... think a few months, like three or four okay. months. Uh, we were because at the time uh, the company didn't exist, right? It was it was kind of a concept, but we were iterating. So Karim was doing some. Uh, I was providing some data and helping to collect some data experimentally, and you know, on the repositories. Um, Karim was doing some of the first iteration, and Matthias was doing in his kitchen for experiments. So so until we get good food, uh, we decide to. In my view, we decide to create a company. When we say oh, this is not disgusting, this tastes pretty good. Wow, this is amazing. So why wouldn't take a seat and and, and, and create a company around it? So Matthias so, did so, figure so, out. So so it was funny because our experiments it are eatable experiments. If you fail, you know, it doesn't matter because you eat it and didn't like it and move on. So you're not killing anyone, you know. So so I was funny because in my lab at Nutco at the time, there was no toxic compound. So everything on the on the experiment side need to be eatable. So the molecular biology was another lab, right? Uh, and so, so it's easy because everybody can evaluate the success of the experiments. Yeah. People from marketing, people of the, the backup people from the office, you know, everybody can, can have an opinion about it. Yeah, 
I, I am very jealous of the future of food companies. Uh, their lab is their kitchen. So <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like fun. Um, so I, I think you mentioned something about um, sort of recruiting a business co-founder or a mm-hmm. CSO. Um, but it sounds like you also did a lot of the recruiting once you were in Chile. Any advice on you know how to build out a team once you do raise your seed round or your Series A? I think that... Uh, um will depends about how ambitious you want to be uh first mm-hmm. of all you know how how big are the profile at the first step you know if we bring someone from mckinsey and we were not being able to pay his salary the salary of a, a former mckinsey is the salary of the total team make no sense so so much experience at the beginning and so much you know um reputation sometimes it's not good because when they perceive that the founders are not mature enough, they, they will jeopardy their operation because they will feel that they know more than the view that is implemented at, at that moment, right? So um, later on, um, I will say that uh, in, in my case, and I think in Karim's case, because we in some way have some sort of reputation on the science and technology side, we were the one bringing, building our teams with people that we really trust on, the, on our previous uh, you know, positions. So, uh, and, I, and I say this, is, uh, I think, correctly because there, at, the, at the initial moments of a startup, you have so a uh, limited budget that you cannot make mistakes, right? Um, and or if you make mistakes, you need to be cheap and faster. You cannot, you know, uh, uh, create kind of a very huge, you know, deep long-term experiment to demonstrate anything. You need to go, you need to be very sharp, very efficient. And for that, I will say, uh, in my personal experience, I hire and I offer people that I must trust in my entire career. So I bring people from the U.S. I bring people from Chile that were they they were my peers, they were my colleagues, they were my students, and I I bring it from everywhere to to say what we are building is so powerful that will you will not regret on that decision. We have no no much money to pay you, but you will be playing a role if as in a game changer company. And why I'm saying that it's the joint, like a game changer company, this is the data that we get. This is the kind of logic that we have behind, behind the company. This is the technological platform that we want to build. And the skill sets are required, but the mindset and the trust, it's equally important on the skill set. So I will say at the beginning, the only just two first employees, um, they were, in, in my end, uh, kind of agnostic on the search. The other ones, the strategic ones, are people that tr- that we trust and we we give to them the role of building the platform that we wanted. Because it's people that demonstrate in the past that they can do it in other positions, right? At a university, in a in a in, the, in a center, in another startup. Um, so I think that that, that was uh, very 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 critical. You know, skills, yes. trust, and um, and mindset. Yeah. I 100% agree with what you're saying is that, you know, the beginning stages of a startup, especially when you're a sub 10 people, uh, it's you're you're very likely running on very low capital. So you're not like a large company where, you know, if the hire didn't work out, you've wasted six months of salary. You don't have that six months of salary. Absolutely. Uh, so it must be somebody that you trust. Um, and also you also don't have the time to deal with uh, personnel issues. Um, I think, 
another thing I've advised founders on hiring for a technical role, uh, which is, you know, something that they, pro- they probably don't have from um, their uh, their own network, is that the person who's asking you to match their current salary is likely not the right person, right? Because then they're they're not giving up anything; they're getting salary plus your your stock. Um, so uh, don't go for the mercenaries; go for the missionaries. Right. True. So. Uh, I want to highlight that, you know, every for every guest, I always ask them, you know, what topics do you want to talk about? And Pablo, uh, despite being however smart he is, he has a big brain, but he has an even bigger heart. He said, you know, I want to talk about how entrepreneurs, founders can give back to their community. So I want to, you know, yield the rest of the time for you to talk about that. Now, I think I think that for, for me, that is critical, right? If we want to if we want to move, if we want to move the economies, I think at, at startups and scale up need to be one percent of the uh, of the peak, right on, on the on the gross, you know, margin of the economy, they need to be an important player, and for that we need more notcos, we need more jingles, we need more, we need more, and it's not it's a matter of concentrated, just for concentration. It's concentrated to distribute, and I think that the, the, the entrepreneurs that we get some kind of success, right, success in the economical dimension is one type of success, but you need to be able to be, I, I would say. Uh, with the vision that other people need to come after you and, and build that capacity to not just move the economy, but also to create great jobs, right? To, to create knowledge as a pinnacle of moving societies. And for, the, for that, for, for me, it's critical. So right now I'm, I'm working from the municipality of my city, the city that I live. I live in the countryside and I decide to, to support the municipality that is something and create an innovation department over here and bring in the best startup that I know to, to try to create impact on the territory that I live. Um, I'm not saying that that is the, the way to go, but I think it's, uh, it's good to need to perceive that I will say uh, entrepreneurs have a, a, a way to go that can really have impact in many dimensions. And a startup was one experience but public policy could be a second one, right? Uh, helping other entrepreneurs could be a third one. You know, playing with the, uh, with the in, in this case, people that it's trying to build, you know, business that are not technical one. They're not uh, uh, um, technical, scientific-driven co- companies. Also, it's important to give some, some tips. So, so I think that we need to have a, a vocation or, or some kind of a... Uh, um, our empathy with the society, and we as entrepreneurs need to play that game as well. So, yeah. so what I'm doing in my day by day basis, like not just sitting on boards and helping entrepreneurs, but also helping you know my neighborhood. Uh, I created a school, for instance, uh, for for teaching kids because I think that it's key. Um, and and if someone coming from Germany, from Netherlands, from Africa. I will find my time and I will talk to them because I think that it's valuable for everyone to receive feedback. It's not lessons, right? I'm not saying I, I spoke to a woman that was doing peptidomics, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a biochemist and I know about peptides. I have no clue about make peptidomics strategies for impacting physiology of humans. But I think and I have some kind of view that can help that founder to, to shortcut some process that I thread myself in the past. So I think that we need to we need to spend time of our life of giving back, and I have four hours a week on my calendar blocked to anyone can call me and say you know I want to talk to you for five minutes or ten minutes and I say yeah I will open to do it because it's the way to give back, 
And I decide to uh, use the office of uh, the municipality, not because I'm an employee of the municipality, it's because I have so many net people, great people on my network that can support the municipality that I will, you know, I, in an hour, I have a meeting with two startups that they want to pilot their products in the territory with this municipality. It's very poor, by the way. It's not a, it's, I'm not sitting in New York. I'm sitting in Melibilla. It's a place that no one knows in, in Chile. Uh, but, but I think that this is kind of a, and, and everybody needs to do it. It's like going to the uh, military school for uh, people from Israel, right? You, it's a must. You need to go there. You need to spend your time sharing your knowledge. And it's, I think that on my end, it's the only way uh, to really um, move the engine on, on, on our spaces. Because some people can, can say, you know, the government, uh, we rely on the government on pushing these ideas. But the government have have no experience in reality of creating you know innovation on the on the ground. So the only people it's the consolidated business they have no idea of sharing their knowledge because they are concentrating you know the richness. And you have this more democratic access to knowledge and, and capital that is the uh, entrepreneurship you know ecosystem. And and also we need to support each other. And I think that one of my my goals with the companies that I'm seeing uh, right now. Not related to food, of course, because I, I am pretty respectful with, with Notco, but it's how we hire service of another startup, how we create business with them. If you need to go and screen for your, your I don't know, diagnostic, you don't need to go to the private consolidated rush. You can go to a, a business that is uh, equal to you and need your support. So creating network, it's important. Um, and helping to each other is very, very critical for me. You, this is the way of make this ecosystem more dynamic. And also, I, I'm playing. A, a, I say, I will say, a, like an important role of building companies, right? Uh, and that's why I'm sitting in accelerators and and, and in a, a company building program to help scientists to change their mind and find co-founders, like exactly what we, we have been talking, and develop a business around their skills. I, I'm changing. The last year, we we create 12 companies that come in directly from universities. And we train scientists, we, we, we force them to learn about business, looking for co-founders, paying for helping them to create a business, talking with the university, changing policies just to create a new company. And that was very successful. Uh, and, and now I'm starting a second process of that. It's called Apta Builder. Um, it, and we're planning to uh, have another 12 companies, scientific-based companies that are driven from a lot of uh, fundamental research paid by all the citizens because they are uh, professors at universities. So I think that we need to we need to play that role absolutely. I, I love what you said, and I, I wish there were more Pablos or everyone's a Pablo. Uh, there are two quotes that I really like. One is um, uh, "service is the rent you pay to live on this earth," and the second is um, uh, "to whom much is given, much is uh, expected." And I think a lot of people uh, look at that uh, quotation and think that um, uh, "much is given" just means you were born rich. No, I, I think we're all given so much, right? The fact that we have intelligence, the fact that we have drive, and the fact that we have a willingness to make change, these are all gifts, right? And so it's up to us to channel these gifts to make a difference. And I, I totally agree with you that if you want to make a difference in this world, startups actually might be the way to do it instead yeah. of you know waiting um, for for bigger changes. You maybe you just have to start. Um, so last question is, um, what are three people you want to see me interview that you think are very interesting? 
I think that the uh, three founders that they are really like inspire me. Uh, uh, I, I one of them, the first one uh, that I, I interview her. I, I will say that we get a, like a, a mentoring session, but at the end, I learn way more than uh, that what I teach. I think, or I I, I try to propose to, to her. It's a, it's a company it's called Nuritas. Um, um, from Ireland and, and it's moving into US and the founder, it's a scientist, brilliant scientist with a really great optic about, you know, uh, pharmacology and, and, and human physiology overall. It's called Nora Caldi. It's the first one. Mm-hmm. She's great. She's in the growing yeah. stage, but uh, with a $200 million revenue, but it's still, she, she feel, and this is what I like most, she feel that still need to uh, develop skills and it still need to, to learn uh, it's on the learning curve. It's a very successful business, but it's still having a startup, you know, spirit, and that that is great. The second one is a company that that I know uh, because I'm very familiar with the technology. They are based on Berkeley's Pivot Bio. That um, they were raising like I, I think at like four hundred million dollar for for this this round. They are uh, I, I work in a technology exactly in the same one that they are they are uh, um, leading here. That is how we uh, can how we can replace the use of nitrogen fertilizer that have a very high impact on, on the environment and how we uh, in some way reset the microbiome of crops of being not dependent of the nitrogen coming from the fertilizer, but microbes uh, can do that work and fixing nitrogen from the air, like biological nitrogen fixation. And this is very deep revolutionary for agriculture. They call it the holy grail of agriculture. Yeah. How we can change the, the way of making food, basically, on a species that uh, they lose the ability of uh, taking nitrogen from there because they, they don't have the association with the right microbes. And they don't establish that association. People buy is great. And the person is Karsten Team, um, is one of the founders, scientists, brilliant as well, uh, have been seeing some of the uh, lectures that he has been done. Uh, and the third one is the founder of uh, of 22andMe that made uh, they made an IPO like a few months ago. Uh, I'm a user of 22andMe from the very beginning, speeding uh, on that too, when there were like uh, the first few months that they released when I was in California. And still I'm impressed with what they have been doing, you know, not just in terms of, you know, position SNPs like single nucleotide polymorphins has a, has a tool for identifying stuff. But also because they train and educate the users. If you go to their webpage uh, and you screen your data, you can look the the papers behind it, the scientists that discovered this. So it's it's more than a service of providing you data. It's a way of changing uh, and 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 bringing science on the top of every person that can use this platform. And that that for me is it's great because I think that they are doing better than universities of teaching people. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. Uh, and one uh, um, not well-known fact about 23andMe is that they actually store your genome for five years so that if they learn new things about through GWAS studies and whatnot, they might actually resequence your genome or parts of your genome and then tell you new things that they've learned. This so, is something that happened very often, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So don't think of it as, you know, oh, I just spent, you know, two, three hundred dollars once. No, that they'll, they might update you, you know, in a few years with the new data as well. Um Thank you so much, Pablo, for all the great lessons. Um, I'm glad I'm not pointing our founders in the wrong direction. <laughs> You've reiterated some of my advice. So I'll definitely send this uh, podcast to them as well. And thank you so much for your service, to not just to Chile, but the probably globally, uh, the startup world. Great. Thank you, Gwen, for the 
I think that very honest conversation that was, that was perfect. Always. Thank you, Pablo. Okay. Take care.